This is the big headliner. This is the Easter Sunday is what makes Christians Christian. And so I invite you to bow your heads and join with me in a word of opening prayer. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that Christ is risen, that Christ is risen indeed, that we can boldly declare that our risen Lord died, was put in that tomb, but could not be contained. God's power, God's love could not even be held back by death itself. God, we give you thanks for resurrection. We give you thanks for the grace that that means for us. And so God, we lift up this next hour or so to you. God, may this be an opportunity for us to truly celebrate your presence, celebrate your resurrection, celebrate what that means for our lives. God, make wherever we are, whether we are here in the sanctuary, whether we are joining in online, make this ground holy ground, make this time holy time, that we may wholly give ourselves over to your worship and your praise this Easter morning. In Jesus' most holy name we pray, amen. The other kind of big announcement I have to make is one we have we previewed on Facebook and announced um, at Wednesday night worship as well. Um, that June 26th will be my last Sunday um, as the lead pastor of Grace Church. I serve um, under the call of a bishop. Uh, his name is uh, Bishop Scott Jones, and part of the commitment I made at my ordination is when the bishop tells you to go, um, you say yes, sir, and away or yes, ma'am, and away. Uh, you go. And so we found out um, as a church leadership team this week um, that I am being uh, called away um, to become the senior pastor of uh, Servants of Christ United Methodist Parish um, in uh, South Houston. Um, I will be there as of July the 1st. Um, the other thing we get to joyfully announce um, is that uh, Pastor uh, Jimmy Calvert uh, will be the new lead pastor of Grace Church as of July the 1st. Um, so there will be no lapse. You will, I will go on a mission trip. I will get back on July 2nd. And by the time I get back, there will be a new person in my office, uh, which is good because then I have to go move into a new office on July the 3rd. And so uh, I have deeply enjoyed uh, my four years um, here as a lead pastor of Grace Church uh, we have uh, fought together. We have loved together. Uh, we have mourned together. We have worked together. We have done some real in-the-trenches ministry together. And so I will always cherish the time, and, and I hope y'all will too. This is, this is always um, I, the nature of the ministry that God has called me to. I've had to make a lot of these announcements over the years. Um, I've been a pastor for nine years. This will be my fifth move. Um, God keeps me on the move. Um, and so I, uh, I will miss y'all. I, I know um, that this is not the week we would wanted to announce that. We were not in control of when we got to announce it. Um, and so I don't want to spend any more time talking about myself, honestly, um, on this day when we celebrate the resurrection. But just know that on June 26th, uh, we'll have a time uh, where we can celebrate. Um, I'll go ahead and announce now because the band has vaguely agreed to it. Uh, we are doing Summer of Rock. Um, it is kicking off before I go, and so it is Summer of Rock Volume 4, The Farewell Tour. Um, and so the end of Summer of Rock uh, Volume 4, The Farewell Tour, will end on June 26, because I'm not saddling the next guy uh, with Summer of Rock. Um, I, I am also deeply optimistic about the future of Grace Church um, and Pastor Jimmy's uh, ministry. Uh, I've had a chance to meet him. Our, our church leadership has had a chance to meet him. He is a, a tremendous man of God. He is a former Christian rocker. Uh, he actually toured um, as a Christian rock drummer for 10 years. Um, he has a wonderful story uh, and a deep calling uh, from God on his heart. And so I, I look forward 
um, uh, to seeing his ministry blossom here and uh, this church continue to thrive. I do want to close out this announcement with just a very small threat. Um, and this is me threatening, y'all. Um, I'm going to come back once a year. Once a year, I have, to, I have to serve at church camp. I always end up having to be a speaker at church camp. Church camp's at Lakeview in Palestine, right? Uh, so I'm going to be here once a year. Sometime uh, you will see me sitting at the back drinking coffee. I better see most of y'all here a year from now. I better see most of y'all here five years from now. And 10 years from now, I better see even more people and y'all better be in a new sanctuary that's far nicer and find the money for it and all of that, right? Because I do not want the mission of this church to ever be derailed. I only want the mission of this church to continue to grow and to thrive. And that has something to do with who is the lead pastor. Yes, absolutely. But that has far more to do with what we all do together. One of the privileges that we have as a church community is praying for one another and lifting up those in our community who have asked for specific prayers. And anytime we have a great outreach event like we did yesterday with our extravaganza, uh, we always get large stacks of prayer requests. And I, I count it a joy and a blessing uh, that our community trusts us to pray for them. And so if you would join me now in prayer for our community um, and for one another. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that we can come to you with all of our many prayer requests, that you care about everything from the large to the small in our lives, from the exciting to the mundane. And so God, we lift up um, the Ortega family today who lost uh, their husband and father last night very unexpectedly. We pray that you would surround them with a peace that surpasses all understanding. God, we pray healing and peace for the Bradley family. God, we lift up Ray Kidd and we pray that you would um, heal his body, heal his lungs as he is still in the hospital with COVID pneumonia. Lord, we pray for the family and friends of Miss Dahl as they prepare for her memorial service this week. God, we lift up Beth Corson and her back pain. We pray that she would be healed, that she would be comforted, that she would be restored to health. Lord, we lift up uh, Michelle Tucker's daughter, who is both sick and in prison. Lord, you gave us special instructions to care for those who are sick and in prison. And so, Lord, we lift up her daughter to you. God, uh, we pray for Danielle. We pray for the relationship changes that she is going through right now. We pray that there would be peace and that there would be restoration. Lord, we lift up uh, Emmanuel Castillo. We pray uh, for his sickness to get better. Lord, we pray that Cassandra Jackson may find peace, may find forgiveness, and may find restoration in relationship. Lord, uh, we pray for Chrissy Holcomb to be healed from blood clots. Lord, we pray for Faye Koo and her family. Uh, we pray that they would be able to successfully move into a home without mold so that they may stay healthy. And God, we pray also that you would heal her from cancer. God, uh, we lift up Misty Star, who is also looking for a place to live right now. We pray that you would make a way where there seems to be no way sometimes. Lord, we continue to lift up John Hafner. We, we continue to lift up Sandra. We continue to lift up Rhonda. We continue to lift up all of those who are suffering from cancer, 
from mental illness, from addiction. Lord, we leave all of our friends and our family in your capable healing hands. And God, when this world is too heavy for us, when we are unsure of the words to pray because we are overwhelmed with emotion, thank you that you gave us the words to pray so long ago when you said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Um, and as I did all the knife work last time, there are no knives in this edition of the children's sermon. Uh, but there were in the last edition of the children's sermon. Okay. Let me get... Okay, so. This is Jesus. Okay, this is technically not actually Jesus. This is a small plastic figurine that looks like Jesus um, that normally lives in my office. But for the purposes of today, this is Jesus. On the Friday of Holy Week, what we call Good Friday, we remember that Jesus went up onto the cross and died for us. And he was placed in a tomb. Right now, we're going to be doing this. Thanks for holding this up. Who would like to place Jesus in the tomb? Go for it. Don't worry. There's lots of things. Okay. So they play, is Jesus' friends placed in the tomb, and they sealed the tomb with a big rock. Who wants to put the big rock up? Okay. Go ahead and put the big rock up and kind of hold it in place. Okay. And on Friday, Jesus died. And on Saturday, Jesus was still dead. But then... I put it back in my pocket. Sunday morning, something else happened. Jesus' friends. Do you want to hold one of Jesus' friends? Um, do you want to hold one of Jesus' friends? Yes, these are all Lego people. And then I ran out of normal Lego people, and I went for weird Lego people. These just all live in my office. They walked up. So you want to walk them up to the tomb? Okay. And guess what? The stone was your Thank you, Jack. The stone was gone. And they went inside. Okay, let's go inside. And they looked around. Did you see Jesus in there? No. 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 When they walked, they showed up because they were going to help bury Jesus. They had these traditions they did to help bury Jesus. And when they got inside the tomb, oh, she's, she's fainted. She's so surprised. Uh, <laughs> she, they all fell over. <laughs> when they got to the tomb, Jesus wasn't there. And Jesus wasn't inside the tomb because Jesus wasn't dead anymore. Jesus was alive. He had risen from the dead. That Jesus loved so much, and Jesus' power itself could not stop him from us. And so that is what we celebrate on Easter. Yeah, no, it is shocking. It is worth, oh my gosh, they fainted. Um, it is worth celebrating, and perhaps worth fainting over, um, the amount that God truly loves us, and the great power that God has, um, that God can even conquer death itself. Will you guys pray with me? Take your hands like this, put them together. Bow your heads, close your eyes, repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on a cross. Thank you for rising again. God, may we know that you always 
love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I need all these things back because they need to go back to my office. Y'all can go back to your seats. Thank you. Now everyone's fainted. I know. Our scripture this morning um, uh, should not come as much as a surprise to y'all. Um, it is the story of the resurrection as told um, by the gospel according to Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning to the tomb, they told this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with whom, uh, excuse me, with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, in the Methodist Church, we do not uh, have saints like the Catholic Church has. Catholic Church, the saints kind of serve as the phone-a-friend option in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I understand this is like a 20-year-old reference at this point, but essentially, um, in the Catholic faith, who wants to be a millionaire? It's like who wants to be a millionaire, right? So all the saints are hanging out in heaven uh, close to Jesus, and you can ask, you can phone a saint to help you get a thing that you need. In the Methodist Church, we don't have that. We do name churches after saints because you can't, apparently, you can't just name a church Luke. You have to name a church St. Luke's, and you can't just name a church Paul. You have to name it St. Paul so that it, you know, feels a little more official. Uh, but we don't have that. But I've always been intrigued by the concept of St. Jude, um, who is the patron saint of lost causes. I love this concept that there is a patron saint of lost causes. Fun fact of why St. Jude is the patron saint of lost causes. You see, St. Jude is not really named St. Jude. His mother did not look at him and go, you are named Jude. His mother named him Judas. So can you imagine being a disciple of Jesus named Judas. And so the Bible keeps trying to rename him. They rename him Jude. They rename him Thaddeus. They rename him Labius. But in the end, his name is Judas. And so what the ancient Christians thought that no one would offer prayers to St. Jude for fear that they might be calling the wrong Judas and get Judas Iscariot instead. 
So they thought, okay, well, we'll make him the patron saint of lost causes because only he would only he would only have the option to take truly desperate cases. He's like the public, the last public defender on the list that gets dealt the cases that no one else wants because they just didn't think anyone else was going to call him. And so he became the patron saint of lost causes. I really like this idea. I like the idea that there is a there is a phone tree in heaven, and at the bottom of the phone tree is Saint Jude. For all other matters, a super desperate call, you are stuck calling Saint Jude. And partly, I find this story funny. But partly, I resonate with the idea of being a lost cause. Certainly in my life, uh, before I was called to ministry, I had more or less written myself off as a lost cause. I'm a chronic workaholic. Um, I suffer from depression. I am deeply skeptical. Uh, I never had those like joyous, high worship experiences because my brain chemistry literally doesn't do that. And so by the time I was 19, I had pretty well decided that I myself was a lost cause. I would go to church. I would know that God is real. I would believe in Jesus, but that this religious journey was just not going to go real far for me. It was a lost cause. Now, God moved in my life. I've been a pastor for nine years. I still find it hilarious that I, the, you know, natural skeptic with depression, um, got called to be a pastor, yet here I am. Because when I got my call to ministry, I laughed out loud. It's like, ha, 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 I do not have the faith for this. But as I reflect on Easter morning, as I reflect on the resurrection, I realized that we don't actually need a patron saint of lost causes because there are no lost causes. Because the power of the resurrection, because Jesus died and rose again, because of the whole new world that comes into being through that act of sacrifice and that act of power, defeating all earthly powers that stood in his way, that I know deep down there is no such thing as a lost cause in God's world. Because if God loves you, God will stop at nothing to get to you. And God fundamentally loves you and loves all of us. That if God can defeat Rome, that if God can defeat the temple, that if God can defeat death itself, then there are no obstacles that God cannot overcome. There is no such thing as a lost cause in God's whole new world. Now, you could understand why the women on their journey to the tomb that morning might believe that the whole thing was lost. You could forgive them this moment of doubt. They were having a really bad day. They had been journeying with Jesus. They had been ministered to by Jesus. They had seen the people coming and being healed and being transformed. They were there at, on Palm Sunday for the triumphal entry. Here, here comes the Savior. Here comes the Messiah. We're finally going to do it. God's kingdom on earth. This is going to be tremendous. And then on Friday, he's dead. 
He's placed in a tomb. And so, yes, as they walk to the tomb that morning, they are probably making the same small talk that any of us would make at any funeral, talking about how old were they when they first went to prepare a body for burial, uh, talking about the loved ones that they had lost before. Someone probably complained about how high the prices for spice had gotten and how, you know, how is any, you can't afford to die in this country anymore because of how expensive it has gotten. I'm making this up at this point. The Bible doesn't tell us any of these things. But you know these conversations, you've had them. Standing in, some of y'all standing in that kitchen complaining about these exact same things. You know, why is it we, why couldn't we get more volunteers to do this? And man, it's getting expensive to do this. But underneath that thin veneer of small talk, steep pain. Deep pain at the loss of a loved one, a beloved teacher, a brother, a son. You, know, you think of Mary, the mother of James, who is also Mary, the mother of Jesus, was burying her 33-year-old son. Her whole life is wildly out of order. And so you have that, the pain of loss. You have the fear and suffering that the people who killed Jesus are still out there, and by the way, they're all still in charge, right? It's the temple in Rome that killed him, and the temple still sits there on high with the same high priest that was there on Friday as the high priest that's there on Sunday morning, and the same Roman governor who washed his hands of the whole matter and let it all happen and signed the warrant for Jesus to be killed is still the same Roman governor on Sunday. Only two days have elapsed. It's on the third day, which meant it was Friday, and then Saturday, and then there was Sunday morning. Not much has changed. And so they're probably a little afraid. All the other disciples are still hanging out in fear in the upper room. But they're braver than them. Here In this story, by the way, the women are braver uh, than the men uh, in this particular instance. And then there's also that existential pain. That existential dread. That the whole thing's done. They had all this hope for the kingdom of God. They had all this hope. That things were finally going to be made right. But from where they sit, before getting to that tomb on Easter Sunday morning, it's all been wiped away like that. So when they get to that tomb and see that the giant stone is already rolled in, walk in and see the body is gone. And then have these angels appear. They receive the good news. That the story does not end with Christ's death on a cross. That the story does not end with the ignominy of a grave. That the story does not end with a wonderful teacher cut off at his before his prime. Instead, there is something far more to this story that is a risen Lord. And so that is what the angels tell them in verses 5 through 7. The women were terrified and bowed their face to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how you were told when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified on the third day and rise again? You can understand how they forgot. 
You can understand how the pain and the loss and the uncertainty might have wiped that out of their minds. But then here, faced with the reality, there is something more. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And that means no earthly power can stand against what God wants to do for us. Because in dying the way Christ died and in rising the way Christ rose, it is a defeat of the most powerful structures that existed at that day. So first up is the Roman Empire. This is the classic evil empire. They were the largest uh, thing that had ever existed, the largest human organization ever built. They had the most powerful military. They had the best technology. They had built the best roads. They seemed like an unstoppable force. At that point, in early, you know, first century, the Roman Empire was an un stoppable force. Do they fall a few hundred years later? Yeah, that's a long time from now. They were on a roll, conquering nation after nation after nation, building an empire unlike anything the world had ever seen. And they're the ones that killed him, right? They are the ones who put him up on that cross. They are the ones who wrote the inscription that says, here is the king of the Jews. Ha, 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 ha. They're the ones who cast lot for, lots for his clothes. And as I've said many times, when the Roman Empire kills you, generally people stay dead. On top of that, it's the Jewish temple, the temple hierarchy that put Jesus in that grave. They are the most powerful religious force in Judea. They believe they've built this entire religion around God literally being inside that temple, that God literally sat at the exact point where the Ark of the Covenant was, there in the Holy of Holies. And so they will tell you that they have exclusive access to God. This is human religion, not just, you know, there is God and there is human religion. We need to separate those two things, both then and now. But this is a powerful religious force saying they have a monopoly on God. And so when a powerful religious force says, this is not God, we have God, generally people believe that and that's what happens. On top of that is death. Jesus died. Everyone prior to Jesus, save Elijah, died. Everyone after Jesus, save Elijah, died. Death is human's great natural enemy. And so in rising and coming out of that grave, Jesus defeats the world's most powerful political force. Jesus overcomes the power of broken human religion. And Jesus overcomes even death itself. That is to say, Jesus overcomes whatever stood in his way of showing his love for his people in showing the power of his might and his grace, in showing us that when we accept Christ into our lives, who we are putting in our corner is the powerful creator of the universe, and the powerful of the creator of the universe will not be stopped, whether it is some human political institution or a broken religion or even death itself. Nothing will stop God from loving you, seeking you, and wanting to transform your life. There are no laws causes in God's new world. That's the resurrection. It is not just a cool magic trick where one guy comes back from the dead. 
It is God overcoming the most powerful forces of this world to show what can be done when God wants to do something. And what God wants to do is love you and let, let you know that you are loved. That's what the women found there at the tomb that day. That no human force, no earthly force can overcome the power and love of God. And yes, I will even forgive Peter and the men who were not brave enough to go out there having a little doubt. You might too. If they had, no, he rose from the dead. We saw an angel and he rose from the dead. He's not in the tomb. The rock was moved. Was that just spices that y'all were uh, taking with you that day? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm gonna, you, you, know, you, stay, you stay here. You stay here? I'm, I'm going to go check. Sounds nuts. It does sound nuts. Yet it's the godly reality of the thing. And we, like the women on their way there, like the men, when they hear the good news for the first time and don't believe, yeah, we also look at things like they're lost causes. We might believe that we are lost causes. We might believe that our world is a lost cause. I can't be the only one who's felt myself to be a lost cause every once in a while, a few times a day, maybe. This life is hard. There's pain in this world. And we do things that move us, that feel like they move us further and further from God. And the problems don't always resolve as quickly as we like. And then there was a global pandemic, and now there's a land war in Europe, and there's all this stuff. And it feels like, well, it's got to be a lost cause. I've got to be a lost cause. I've got to be too far from God. God can't reach me, not me. I've done too much, I'm too whatever, I'm too sinful, skeptical, unbelieving. Insert your word, right? We've all got our words why we think we're why we think we're the one that can't be reached. We think the other, I, you know, I'm guilty of this. We think everyone else can be reached. Yeah, 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 that's great for them. Uh, but I'm the special case. I'm the one that's too far gone. Or this time, this thing that's happened, it's too far gone. God can't claw it back this time. But the resurrection changes all that. Prior to the resurrection, you're right. You could look at the world and believe that. You could believe, as the women I'm sure did, and as Peter certainly did as he sprinted to the tomb to double check, that thing, there is such thing as a lost cause. Prior to the resurrection, absolutely plausible that we could believe that there are things as a lost cause, but the resurrection changes that. By overcoming Rome and the temple and death itself, God showed fundamentally that when God wants to do something, anything is possible, and God went to that cross in the first place to show how much God loves you. And so in God's world, there are no lost causes. That is the fundamental message of the resurrection. That Christ died at the hands of Rome and the temple, and on the third day he rose from the dead. God's love and grace is so powerful. It can reach anywhere it wants to. And here's the good news, friends. It wants to reach you. 
right here, right now. That all we have to do to get the most powerful force in the universe on our side is say, I want to be a part of God's whole new world. That's it. It's just say, hey God, I want you on my side. Hey God, I want you in my life. And then there God is for you, walking alongside you, transforming you, redeeming you. Is human life still hard? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus had a pretty hard human life too. But what we can have is the most powerful ally in the universe, that whether in this life or in the next, will carry us through. God loves you. God loves me. And what the resurrection shows is that God will do whatever it takes for the people God loves. This is God's new world that is already accomplished by the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you, form one united body in Christ, because the power of God's Spirit and the power of this resurrection, that is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. There are no lost causes, only God's beloved children, who God will go to any length in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.